podcast episode number 221 of the flagship show on the flagship network that you all know and love i'm your first host marcello and i'm host number two d host number three Corey. what's up guys what's up man man a lot man it's been a good week it's been a great week D's it's always a good week when we what's up you're rocking the old headphones rocking the headphone style you're back at your house yeah, I went to go visit the old parents, you know, because um, I started getting the mom guilt trips. Mm. So, like the whole, I miss you and I want to see you. And it's like, oh, God. It's Damn. funny. Those used to be our the flagship headphones we used to record. And now I use them to just play Final Fantasy with piece <laughs> of shit headphones. <laughs> Not that bad. <laughs> No, we call them a piece of shit because they never sponsored us. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Road yeah, looking at you. Headphones. Razor headphones. They get the job done okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's better stuff out there. Like, <laughs> um, so every week is good when you launch a new show. Not every week is good. Every week that you launch a new show is good. So shout out to, to, um, those um, of ether. I have a good feeling about the show. Yeah, man, it, it got a good response in in the um, in the Slack. Everyone was like, "Man, I've been looking for a show that just focuses on Ethereum." Celebrities and were, were, we're moving to that point. Yeah, that that that, that, yeah. that whole community is just super hungry for information. Like it's it, it, I'm trying yeah. to contribute to everything. The one that I've gotten the most. Um, responsive feedback from like people that are just hungry to learn more want to figure it out it's always been the ethereum community and yeah man i've tried to involve myself in a lot of different ones to try and figure out how things work and and i mean i've just slowly moved more and more towards the ethereum community because people want to learn people want to know more people ask questions people are engaging there's like a like just a ridiculous amount of information almost like information fatigue trying to learn shit just there, yeah. not even like and then trying to exacerbate it by the whole space. It uh, reminds me of the good old days in the Bitcoin community. Yeah, it brings up a good point. Is like if you know people are coming in cold, are they not listening to us because they think all we do is talk about Bitcoin? And it's like, man, what is there to talk about in Bitcoin land anymore? Like, what are these guys talking about? I'll go listen <laughs> to a dose of ether instead. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, but the funny thing is, is, like, we have that content, so hopefully they realize it through listening to the shows on the network. Hopefully. I don't know. Yeah. We can tell you what's going on in Bitcoin. Professor Ryan X uh, 
Not Professor X. I just call him Professor Ryan X because of the likeness and baldness. But uh, all of a sudden, is a Craig Wright true believer? Nah, he's been he's been true believing in Craig Wright for a long time. I think right when they made the switch to Bitcoin Cash, I was talking to him about why, and he was telling me how how he thinks like Craig Wright is the real deal, and I was basically saying, "No, he's not." You're, you've has, gone your, has your personal opinion of him gone down? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's three yes. I'll take it as a yes. <laughs> your, uh, I guess yours isn't a thing anymore. Well, it is, but it wasn't nah. as big as what they planned it to be, and they moved over to the money button, which is not that crazy of an idea. I mean, it's going to be wrong. It's useful, but it's not like as revolutionary as what they say it is. And then they talk about how well, like how, how much Craig Wright is like Satoshi and... The true vision and Craig Wright. I think Vitalik tweeted something the other day that said, "If if if Craig Wright is Satoshi, it would change my mind more about Satoshi Nakamoto than it would about about Craig Wright." Yeah, I, I think Goon Sorare, uh nailed it when he just said, "I, I think Satoshi was designed to, to not be revealed." I think that's the way they set it up. Potentially, like it has to be almost. You 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 can't have. The originator of a current, like something that's supposed to be a currency, and you think of everything that's entailed with the currency, and it's supposed to be decentralized and not distributed by a government entity. That thing has to have no entity attached to it. Yeah, but then when he realizes how big it is, maybe he wants fame and recognition. No. But now it's too late. Like nobody, either people don't care, they're not going to believe you, yeah. or you're going to ruin the, the very philosophy of the white paper i think anybody that comes out and says they're satoshi without without like proving it first is just trying to take advantage of of the prestige associated with the name to get themselves further up the ladder of of like interesting people in this space like how do you just being it? a narcissist oh you, you you use the keys that belong to the coins that are associated with satoshi Nakamoto in the in the, in the early blocks of bitcoin if you have oh, those, yeah, like the, the very first transactions was like yeah him. those are all his yeah. like you, you uh, the we first can, 100 like a ton of the early blocks that were mined are all his because he started it and there weren't enough people to contribute other than a few others and we know who those people are so if you could either just sign a message with those keys that says basically i have control of these keys that's enough that's that's not enough but it it's more than it's definitely necessary to do that yeah and, and then correct if you don't do it it's because it's not like if, if you don't do that then no one will ever believe you period except for uh professor ryan x well i mean he's like i've whatever. seen the keys they exist and i'm like that's not even show no that's not even true like you didn't no one has ever seen my private keys Ever. What's that mean? It's like it's like he he like got like a golden chest out and it was like, oh, here's the keys. Like even, that dude Satoshi is not keeping his keys in a place where he's showing people them. He's keeping his keys. That's the crazy thing, Corey. It's in plain sight. It's on a billboard. <laughs> it's on a billboard somewhere, and he's just like, "Ha! Ah, I got all you bitches." Yeah. I agree. I, I guarantee you, there's some kind of puzzle or Da Vinci Code thing. The codex. That, he's got like a codex that Dan Brown's going to write about in five years. Oh my goodness, Dan Brown is probably salivating over this entire community right now. I'm waiting he's for the his... movies. Right, the movies are going to be <laughs> like 
I don't know. Like, I was trying to think of like I watched Ocean's Eight the other day, the like the 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 bunk reboot of Ocean's Eleven, and yeah. and uh, like I was thinking about in the future, like the or there's probably going to be some aspect of heist movie associated with stealing people's cryptocurrency. There already was mm-hmm. last year. It was uh, a uh, it was a Vietnamese movie called Bitcoin Heist. Let's just be real though. Okay, there's a, no a good a good Vietnamese Bitcoin Hollywood. <laughs> good oh, a good one. Movie. Oh, we're like yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean like when uh, like uh, what's it? James Cameron like directs or yeah. Spielberg directs? Yeah. What was yeah. that? What was that one movie with uh with Mark Wahlberg? Oh, you're talking about Step Brothers. I am not talking no. about Step Brothers. That's oh, not even. No, you're not doesn't talking. even we have need a, Mark need Wahlberg in it. That doesn't have Mark Wahlberg in it. You're talking about uh, what's the one they where he's minis. a cop? They use no. I'm talking about the one they use like they use minis in like the oh, the talent job. Yeah, that one isn't that Mark Wahlberg? Uh, that's Ed Norton. Was called the French job. It's the Italian job. Yeah, yeah, that's what Ed Norton. Oh, uh, whatever. Anyway, I just learned oh, Ed Norton like. didn't want to make that movie. I learned that online. Who? Ed Edward Norton didn't want to make that movie, but yeah. he was signed to a multiple. Oh, multiple I made a bunch of money. Yeah. yeah, I'm dating Selma Hayek at the time. Bro, what was yeah. me? Anyway, uh, before <laughs> before we started this line of conversation, and before we even started the podcast, I was thinking while I was on the pot. I think you would call this a bidet thought, although I don't know. It a is bidet. a bidet thought. Get a bidet, on, bro. And as, a, as a normal person. Um, in the United States, uh, as I'm going to the bathroom, I am on Reddit on my phone, you know, looking through things, and I came across a uh, a post today talking about Substratum, which was a ICO that one of the ICOs that John McAfee shilled during his like Twitter Twitter ICO shilling days. Um, they're doing a second ICO after one year. <coughs> yeah. And it, like all of the things that they promised from the first ICO, they haven't done any of it. They haven't even gotten listed on a lot of like exchanges. Um, they're not accepting the first coin that they ICO'd with, and I think the second coin has nothing to do with it. Although it, it announces that it's going to do like oh, it's going to boost the price of the first coin in, in, in unseen new ways. And it it it's so. Frustrating. It's not frustrating. I mean, it is frustrating. Don't be wrong. But like the point that I'm trying to get here is that like when we see like I don't I don't think there's gonna be this like time frame within a year where it's like it's not it's not ready it's not ready and then boom oh my god it's ready everybody's using it and we don't know what to do with ourselves like we thought we were seeing during those ICO days right all the prices were up we're like oh my god it's happening during that time and everyone's jumping in it's like this is this is it this is what we've been waiting for it's the 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 mass adoption is coming and all the prices are going up we're all gonna get filthy rich because we positioned ourselves well and in my opinion that's never going to happen it's gonna to us the people who are in the trenches looking at this stuff all the time reading about news stories trying to figure out when it's going to happen it's gonna fly right by us because it's going to happen as we're doing this and we're not going to see the differences because the differences are so small to us compared mm-hmm. to like someone who just like doesn't pay attention to any of this shit and one day is like oh shit I like this application and it's oh it's built on blockchain that's a thing still 
And yeah. to them, it's going to be think, useful. But to us, it's going to be like, well, no shit. That's how, you know, of course that happened because all these other things happened that we saw happen that are small and minute. See, that's how I know we're kindred brethren, Corey, because I had the same bidet thought the other day. Um, I guess I'm not a normal American, as you put it, because I, I, I'm a big supporter of the bidet. But I, I fear that like we, the, the industry, the ecosystem, whatever you want to call it, this shit that we're in has to move past the point where everybody's looking for the next big thing. Like first they hear about Bitcoin and it seems like every like halfway intelligent person that I introduce or on ramp to big to crypto, they're like, oh, well, I obviously just need to make the next Bitcoin. And it's like, well, I mean, no, that's not what you need to do, actually. Good luck. Like, I think it's impossible. You don't, you're not going to make another Bitcoin. Yeah, like we're, we're, we're past that point. And they're like, well, no, if you want to get rich. And I'm like, yeah, see, that's that's where your thought process is wrong. And I don't know how in everything that I've said, this had be, this became a get rich quick scheme to you. Yes, I did explain to you how deflationary currency works and how economically this stuff should be ha- worth a lot of value. In the long that's run. Not, yeah, but that's like who said you know, this say what now who said this uh i believe i was talking to one of my brother's friends oh, i thought okay. you're gonna put yeah. one of these announcements on front street for a second <laughs> no no no, no i was no, about no. to get excited it's like oh shit <laughs> no but one thing that um can you guys hear me yeah yeah hello yeah what's up i'm looking at you anyway uh, I'll be. I'll just. I'll cut this out because D is having audio issues, or maybe yeah. I won't. I'll just keep talking. Are you back? You listen. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah, something happened. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Cool. Thanks a lot, Razor. Uh, yeah, Razor, <laughs> your shit's just okay. By the way, it's just it's extra regular headsets. Um, uh, but one thing to talk about what you were saying with uh, the the currency and nobody repeating the Bitcoin. Th- uh, properties nobody can repeat that is the question that I've been starting to ask in announcements is hey you know you're proposing this decentralized entity but you are a central entity building a decentralized thing how are you going to respond to the pressure when Uncle Sam or somebody comes in and they're saying hey, hey this thing has way too much value and these smart contracts or whatever you built has way too much value in it do something about it you built it you have all Do this centralized infrastructure that, that, that serves it from the blockchain to the people that, that doesn't work without that. Yeah. I don't, we don't like it. We need you to stop it. Do something about it. And they do. They dance around that question. I swear to you, it is like, a, is like choreographed dancing, how they dance around that question. And the fact is, is there's no way to answer that except for, well, since we're a centralized entity and we built all this infrastructure, um, it just gets shut down. That's what happens. <laughs> like, and I hate, I hate, I hate to do this because I now work for the company. But that—that's not how. Like, that's the whole core idea of how status works. Is don't do that. That's why it takes so long because everything is supposed to be 100% decentralized. And if status stops working, the idea is that everything else keeps going. Mm-hmm. Now, currently, we have some centralized infrastructure that serves things because people aren't running enough nodes, or like we don't have the we don't have the on ramping capabilities to bring people to run enough nodes so that it can happen. 
but there's a roadmap to do that. So if you were to ask them that question, they'd be like, oh yeah, that's that's like, here's how we do that. This is, this is when it's going to happen, things like that. And most, of the, I think, because we lowered the barrier of entry for ICOs to join the space and make money with a, to- with a token in this like new fundraising model, that's what people used it for. And they weren't subscribed to the ideology of like, or like get the idea that you, if you want this to work in a permissionless, uncensorable way, then how you operate as an organization or a platform has to be decentralized too. Mm-hmm. And so like you need to be real careful on what you choose for centralized architecture because that's going to be a target if it needs to be. Like if 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 a if you have a centralized part that can be attacked by something, it's gonna be attacked. It will be. So if it stores value, if it if it if it is pivotal for the decentralized part to work and operate, then it's not decentralized. It's like it's like taking this like sweet decentralized stuff if that's what it's if it, if it's good for that matter and then funneling it into a, like a like a like a throttle or a, what's what's the word about a bottleneck. You're funneling into that one point. So if you cut that off, then what's the point of all that stuff you did beforehand? I like how status is approaching things too. Like you don't one of the one of the like greatest sayings and wisdom of all time is you never plant a tree so you can enjoy the shade. And that's what it is, is if you're really, truly decentralized, you know, you're you're planting these seeds and you're building this thing. But if you ever go away, somebody else gets to enjoy the fruit. You're going to be and the best, like, sage old black man, old black sage. I've been sage. practicing for years, my friend. I'm starting to get gray hairs, too. I'm yeah, so excited. I just can't it. wait for you to, like, pop into random conversations with some old black wisdom. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna use your elephant elephant analogy. <laughs> From now on, just different iterations too. Like, young man, you're sitting too close to the elephant, and he's just gonna walk away. And he's gonna be like, "What the fuck does that even mean?" For those Where does that, this guy come from? For those that don't know, uh, no, no. Actually, <laughs> I think I say it in this interview. I I use that analogy in this interview. Yeah, you said it. In okay, so yeah, well, I'll I'll let the I'll let the interview speak for itself in terms of like what that analogy is for those that don't haven't heard me say it before. Holy yeah. shit! Did you guys just segue? Uh, we did segue unintentionally, but yeah, I guess so. Oh my yep. god, we're oh my, it's it's, we're in the zone today. <laughs> Usually, I segue you guys. And another thing, when I was on on the toilet, brought to you by Carl's Jr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, laxative in food form. <laughs> All right, Chella, you want to you want to bring him in? Yeah, today's uh, this week's guest is uh, Nathaniel Whittemore. Uh, this is a good good interview because uh he's not selling anything and i don't want to overspeak but i don't think he's really attached to any projects that we talk about he's just offering commentary uh he does you know strategy and communication for crypto funds and his thing is like expansive thinking you know diving in the market narratives uh i think Corey explained it best he's like a marketer that doesn't shill so you just get pure <laughs> like unattached commentary and and goodness so you can listen to this interview and and soak it in without having to be uh, there's no balloon payment at the end of the interview uh, that's the best way I what's a balloon payment uh basically when you you know let's say you buy a car and you get really cheap monthly payments at the end your last payment is like five payments in one they call it like a balloon payment so it's like you're, you're being led on 
Like you get a really good deal and then you get sold something at the end and you don't have to worry about that with this. Marketing they call strategies. That a wolf ticket. We call that a wolf ticket in St. Louis. Yeah. All right. Yep. Oh, oh shit. This is my part. Uh, here it is. Hey guys, we're here with Nathaniel Whittemore. I know you are aware of many crypto podcasts out there. I approached you. You deemed us worth your time. Thanks for making the time. No, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're indeed we're like a we're a regular cadence podcast. We've been around for three years. We work in this industry. I know your your speciality is like thinking and strategy and communication for crypto projects and funds. I wasn't sure like does, does marketing overlap into that. Tell us tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of give us some clarity on your expertise. Yeah, sure. That, that's funny. I think. Uh... I, I kind of feel like everyone in the crypto space is a professional thinker to some extent, you know, and maybe, <laughs> maybe on top of that, like a professional bullshitter a little bit. Too, yeah. Right? So, so I think, I, you know, I, 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 so this actually gets into what I do. So I, um, I kind of have a, a diverse background, I guess you'd say I've been an investor. I've done a lot of sort of operating startup type work. Um, a common thread is that I really like looking at what's happening across a market. Right. So understanding how different parts are, are playing together. And, and within that context, one of the one of the things you can do with that is help different projects, different companies, different funds understand um, where they fit. Right. Are they actually offering something of value? Uh, what could they be doing sort of tweaking their model to to offer that value? And then how do they tell the story? So, you know. For me with crypto, I think that this whole space is um, a pretty grand experiment in a lot of really big, ambitious ideas. You know, the reinvention of money, the reinvention of how we organize people to produce outcomes. Um, and all of these projects, to some extent, are uh, experiments along that path, right? They're all trying to build some piece of that, whether it's infrastructure or applications. And so the way that I found myself intersecting with it is helping people understand maybe where the where the overall market narrative is, how people are understanding what phase we're in, what's important, what's not important, what's changed, and then understanding where they fit in it. And so that expresses itself as a lot of work with different funds and different projects helping kind of around strategic communications, right? Like making sure that they are able to communicate what their big ideas are, and in some cases, actually reevaluate those ideas, see if they, they, they actually matter to the market or they have to kind of go back to the drawing board. So I have, I have this analogy that I've been using to kind of explain something similar to what you just said. I'm going to say it to you and then try and rephrase what you just said back to you in that analogy. So imagine, if you will, um, there's a giant elephant in the room and there's a bunch of people standing around it, maybe each person is approximately two to three inches from the, from the elephant and they all have a magnifying glass and they're staring at the elephant, trying to explain what they see to the people in the room or to, or, or exclamating that they understand this elephant based on what they see. Um, what you're doing is aggregating a lot of that information. You're, li you're listening to all these people yell what they think they understand and what they say to get an overall picture of what an elephant actually looks like that being cryptocurrency or blockchain. And then newcomers, when you explain these things, if they happen to have some type of magnifying glass, you tell them where they're going to be most useful. Yeah, I actually think that that's, that's totally accurate, right? And like to extend that analogy, I think that the, the only sort of um, even reasonably humble way to approach this is to recognize that like at best I'm screaming that we're a hippo and that's kind of close to an elephant or something. <laughs> but, but, but I think that that's right. I think it's kind of like, all right, you know, we're, we're not sure if this is a, 
a rhino or an elephant, can someone, you know, look at the horn or whatever it is, right? Like we're probably way down past the reasonable amount of analogy, but it's, it's pretty accurate, right? We are all grasping around in the dark, trying to understand, you know, not only what's in front of us and what this is, but what it can be and what we want it to be. Um, and hopefully I'm providing some value to, to, to some projects and different people around um, where they mm-hmm. fit into that, that whole big idea. Yeah. I like to call myself a Byzantine bullshitter, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Just the flow with the culture. Um, I mean, everything's bullshit until you get the results, right? Of course. So, I mean, no. and, and the reality, <laughs> the important thing, too, is that, like, why not? If as long as we can identify that and we can be real about it, like, this is an essential part of do you know how many things have to go wrong before you write things? Like, if every entrepreneurial endeavor in history was a winner, like it just wouldn't make any sense, right? Like you have to try things that aren't going to work and are going to be well-intentioned but irrelevant. I think that the intention behind things is a lot of where, you know, what we're trying to sort through now, it feels like to me, is the difference between um, projects and people who are genuinely interested in advancing these ideas and seeing what we can do differently and exploring new ways to, to kind of organize mm-hmm. everything. Um, there's a difference between people who are, like intentional and just happen to fail or it not works or it doesn't matter to people and people who are seeing all of that experimentation and saying, I can exploit that. Right. There's a difference between experimentation and exploitation. And that's, I think what we're all trying to figure out right now. A lot of it to, 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 I guess it's not all bullshit until you have results. Because if you think about the scientific method, that's exactly how things work. Right. You, you, you stand on the shoulders of giants and based on what those, what, what that view site sees, you see, a different experiment that maybe pushes the boundaries and then you make something that can either confirm or deny that. And then that, then people then build on that. That's what you should be doing. Some people don't follow that methodology and do bullshit and hope it works out. But like mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. idea is to try and figure out what works and come up with a reasonable scenario that either emboldens that or fails it from the get go. Well, l- yeah. let me, give, let me give you a specific example, Nathaniel, cause there's a, there's an issue of importance recognizing that narratives are marketing. Uh, and today, Peepith failed to raise funds on Kickstarter, even with Shooter Jennings going on Joe Rogan, even with Vitalik tweeting about how snazzy the UI was. But it's still a struggle for devs to market their innovations in this emerging crypto phenomena. What are your What are your thoughts? Well, I think, oh, man, there's a there's a lot to unpack with that, you know. And so, so I think I think a couple things. First, on a uh, from a starting point, I hope they figure out um, a reasonable way to get the capital they need to keep experimenting because i think you know like let's put it this way they're a project that's attempting to create a decentralized version of something that they think is important that actually released software and had people using it right which is a lot farther than a lot of people got so everything that i say is in the context of um you know i wish nothing but the best for them i think that they're kind of this particular scenario is maybe falling uh prey to two different phenomena simultaneously one is um, Kickstarter is Kickstarter has always been. I mean, even before we had large scale conversations about crowdfunding uh, via cryptocurrency, right, and ICOs and tokenization and all this sort of thing, this idea of kickstarted projects was it was something that was really gripping, right? Like people kind of forget this, but like 2008, 2009, 2010, when these projects started, they were hugely powerful ideas. I mean, Groupon started as a company called Tipping Point. And the idea behind Tipping Point was, um, I guess it was called The Point. They raised their first $5 million as The Point. And the idea was that 
for global nonprofit projects, right? Global philanthropy projects. It wasn't actually a scenario where every dollar counted. And sometimes it was that you had to hit a minimum threshold of funding for it to, to work, right? And so like, you're trying to dig a well in Africa and that well costs $10,000 and you get $9,000, every dollar didn't count because you don't have enough to buy the well, right? You're just throwing money into a black hole. The tipping point was the idea that you could crowdfund that. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, the point is that this has been a compelling idea to people to pool resources to do things for a while. Um, I think that Kickstarter, you know, the, the interesting thing about Kickstarter is that the, the reason that Kickstarter uh, has stayed sort of in the domain, and intentionally so on their part, of creative projects and, <clears throat> and sort of things that didn't have any sort of um, right to cash flow or any equity-like benefits or any sort of speculative investment benefits is that, uh, it, you know, it was just never, it was never designed to capture that sort of value. It didn't, didn't exist in the paradigm. Tokenization is theoretically a kind of middle space between traditional equity funding and something like Kickstarter, right? And I think that the, the challenge for those guys is that, you know, the reason that nothing like that evolved on Kickstarter and the reason that things like there was such a demand for, for tokenization and ICOs is that people do want sort of, the, you know, not just the emotional benefit of, of being involved in a project or a community, but some way to participate in the upside of it. You know, so I, I think mm -hmm. that there's a there's a real challenge with that methodology. And again, I think that there's probably, you know, I haven't dug deep into the people story specifically, but I imagine that by choosing Kickstarter, they're trying to make a point that um, that, you know, the <laughs> token token projects don't actually entitle rights holders to any more upside necessarily or by definition than something like Kickstarter does. It's just the theoretical promise of the appreciation of value of, of the token, right? So, so there, there's that piece that's hard. I think the second piece that's hard though for a company like Peepath is we are, I believe, still figuring out what actually needs to be decentralized and why, right? And this is a growing conversation that's happening a lot right now is, um, you know, you sort of had part one where decentralization is uh, just a buzzword, right? And and become sort of a, a thing that you can apply to everything. And now I think we're kind of getting back to a broader or, or at least deeper conversation maybe about what decentralization actually means and why it matters and in what context it matters. And are we talking about decentralization at the protocol level or at an ownership level or, a, you know, there's, there's kind of all these different layers to it. Um, I think, you know, one of the interesting, so it's, one of the things that's going to happen a lot is that companies will try to create decentralized versions of things that exist. And I think that there's um, there, the, the, the question that comes up is what is the actual need for those things? What is the pain in some ways of centralization on those platforms? And so if you look at something like Twitter, uh, which PPF is obviously sort of a decentralized version of, the pain is maybe in terms of um, the sort of the risk of uh, of censorship, right? Like the the potential that you get booted off and, you know, all the time that you spent, you know, the sunk costs you spent on building your following is uh, is null and void, right? You know, I just don't know how much that's a pain for people, right? Like, I don't know if a, if a social network like Twitter is the, <clears throat> is the best... Uh, candidate for disruption for from a decentralized alternative. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think that it's there's there's a ton going into going into that. And but it, but it's very, very much um, at the intersection of a lot of conversations that people are having right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, when it comes to marketing in this space, I think these companies are they're, they're falling privy to the fact that they were just overthinking things. Way too much, like it's just things need to be cool. It sounds simple and it sounds dumb, 
But if it's not cool, it's not going to take off, man. It's 2018. That's got to work, It's programmable though, money. Hold up. It's programmable money. Make it cool. Send somebody a GIF in their email that's also money. I don't know. Make it cool. Everyone here speaking right now is in the age range of 30 to 45, probably. We grew up on MTV. I want my MTV. The shit was cool. Like, everyone's overthinking it way too hard. We need a hardware wallet that we can go out and spend money with, and it ooze and oz people in the bar. We need things like that to make it cool just for adoption's sake. I mean, everybody sits around and they consensus algorithms, proof of validation, proof of foam, proof of whatever the shit. Nobody cares about that. They um, really, really don't. I mean, we tried the Paris Hilton campaigns and that didn't generate excitement either. Well, that's Paris Hilton. She doesn't generate excitement. She just generates size, deep, deep size. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about this earlier, like on the select today. And that like right now, I think where the technology is actually at, what what the excitement is in is mainly for the developers, because that's what's being pushed. The, the, the technology is being pushed. We're figuring out how to use it. And it's not quite there yet that allow the applications that would give excitement for the in, like the massive end users. We're just not there yet. The, the usability is too clunky. It's not scalable enough, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anytime that something comes out that's, you know, what I would consider awesome isn't necessarily awesome to normal people because they don't give a shit about the things I care about. Nope. That well, they just don't. So, so going on that, uh, that, that vein there, how do you like find metrics to help these companies understand their story and help these companies maybe tap into that, that cool, that thing that people want, but don't know they want. Because sure. we've been doing this about a decade now. And, you know, I have family members that are like, you're still doing that Bitcoin thing? Oh, it's crazy. It's worth a lot. Still sucks. And so do you. So, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so I, I think there's a couple of things uh, that you're sort of bringing up. One, which is um, super interesting and relevant, which is the, the, the cultural overlap, the cultural connections. I'll get into it in a minute, I think. But um, so I think one of the points that's really relevant and that we don't talk enough about is almost like. I'm trying to think of the right word for this. So I haven't exactly found it yet, but I feel like new technologies all have adoption cohorts. And we kind of shorthand this by talking about like early adopters versus general consumers, but I don't think it's like two categories. I think there's actually this huge gradation, right? Where actually, you know, the first category of early adopters are like, maybe you call them ideologues, right? These are people who are, you know, I'll give you the for example. These are people who are like fiat currency is fucking bullshit and it will always be so and you know like, right like there's a there's an actual logical bend and by the way like not necessarily without good reason but there is a these are this is a subset of of kind of adopters or potential adopters who are actively out in the market looking for what you have that's different right and and so that, that's like kind of your first group of early adopters then you have just the call them the tech early adopters who are generally the people who are first to know about things they're like they're product hunters or whatever they want to know what's new what's different they're going to try things right this is the set of people who set up like you know a mastodon instance and get on ppath because why not because they want to try new things they want to see what sticks they're kind of like their bar for how good it has to be before they try it is lower and then maybe after that you have sort of the cohort who's like you know, uh, uh, like follows the tech trends and will be there kind of in the middle before the general consumers. But, you know, 
they're they're still they're still kind of an early adopter, but they're not like the consumer mainstream, you know, and they're not the extreme early adopters. And then you have just like young people in general who are going to adopt things before. And then after that, you have the sort of mainstream that's older and yeah, yeah, yeah. So the point being that there's actually this huge gradation of um, who the who the market is for any given technology at any given time. And I think that like rather than one prescriptive thing, I feel like the only the, the, the thing that companies need to figure out or projects need to figure out is which cycle of adopters they at? Where is their audience? Are they appealing to the ideologues and building, you know, building relationships with them? Are they going for early adopters? Are they actually starting to scale into consumer? We're firmly now at this stage in the, um, broadly speaking, in the the like ideologue early adopter stage. Obviously, um, now I think where the the second question is, like the <clears throat> the the mainstreaming, I guess, and I feel like there's actually or or. Uh, yeah, I feel like there's actually sort of, uh, again, like kind of two different ways to look at this. You have, um, I actually think that there's a bigger divide than we talk about between people for whom uh, this new technology, particularly sort of reinvented digital unseizable money, um, is a cool to have versus a must have. Right. And so if you're watching what's going on in Venezuela right now, if you're watching what's happening with the Argentinian peso, this is a group for whom these technologies potentially represent a must, not a nice to have. Right. And they are that's the mainstream of society, uh, you know, in Turkey, too, to like any, anywhere that you have sort of volatile currency. Right. Where these technologies actually are a really important thing. You also have an even more sort of sinister dimension than just sort of monetary policy gone wrong, which is places that are dealing with actual armed conflict, where one group could potentially seize the wealth of another group, right? So you have this whole sort of like, there's actually a divide between different, you know, the, the, it's not just that um, that all consumers aren't ready for these products yet. It's in some places they are, in some places they're just nice to have. Like, it's not actually surprising that people in the U.S., broadly speaking, are sort of less, <clears throat> they care less about something like Bitcoin now because they haven't had to really worry about this, you know, at least in our lifetimes in, in the same mm. way. Um, now, there, there, so that's one piece. I think there is a whole different piece, which I do think is super important, though, about your question, which just relates to how you take things and make them consumer adoptable, consumer, uh, consumer ready and interesting. And I think that um, this to me may be about like a little bit about whether we're at the the application phase or the infrastructure phase. So I'll, I'll give you just an example of where, like, look, like brands have always borrowed from culture, like forever. That's what brands do. Brand marketing buys or borrows from culture. It tries to buy into it. It tries to get people to represent it, right? Like this is Nike. This is, you know, uh, Beats by Dre. Like that's what brands do. Brands have to borrow cool from culture because ultimately they're building a product that they're trying to sell you. That is their mandate. And you have to kind of like make alliances with culture to, to, to do that well. I think that one of the things that I'm watching, this is kind of more from a personal interest standpoint, is I've seen there's a lot of interest in um, industries that have sort of traditional power imbalances in the idea of sort of cryptocurrencies or decentralization, right? So particularly the music industry is obviously very interested in applications of technology where they maybe get more of their royalties than would previously go to to the label system or just like there's an actual traceable flow of how creative works are used right and i think that it'll be interesting to see as like you know there's there's a lot of entertainment money you know up in different types of uh crypto projects not just bitcoin but um but sort of uh projects that are using blockchains to to try to 
do things differently. And it'll be interesting to see as actual, real, meaningful consumer products come online, maybe like a wallet is a first example, will some of those folks who are watching from the sidelines now, because there's nothing to really put their brands behind, actually step in and try to do something. I think that'll be really interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. There's a book that uh, Marcello made us read. I think it's called, was it, was it Bridging the Gap, Cello? Yeah, about uh, technological uh, adoption and, and what kind of person you are and how that can kind of speed up like you know what what goes into a bull run are we talking about um what factors go into a bull run is it market cycles and patterns or is it real consumer usage and adoption but there's always that argument and that that book kind of goes into it a little bit it explains that the, the framework of that, co that cohort system you just mentioned earlier like really yeah. really really well and you can apply it to this whole space really 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 well awesome that sounds super interesting that's all I had there. I just wanted to mention that book. <laughs> Yesterday, I was just, you know, I was bored at work. Actually, you need to edit that out. I was hard at work. Uh, but I was, <laughs> I was on YouTube and I was watching uh, a Larry King interview Nick Cannon and he asked him, what is the worst piece of advice he ever received? And he answered investing in crypto. And it just, man, it just, it, it kind of seems like it's cool to hate on crypto. And then, you know, I wanted to couple that in with the fact that, you know, nobody creates a business in a bear market there's Ethereum skepticism. And I was thinking this is different than FOMO because this is like a correlation between not getting rich quick and a sheer disinterest in crypto. And I don't, now that I think about it, I don't really have a question here. I'm just acknowledging in its existence because I see it happening. My co-host D who just dropped out, he thinks we're going to be in a five-year bear market. And I keep thinking that this space won't survive a five-year market. I won't survive a five-year bear market. So in Bitcoin, holding doesn't mean using you know we we hold bags we scrutinize tron's white paper but as long as it goes from four cents to 20 cents i don't think anybody cares and i guess i'm bringing this up because you kind of get the space from a cultural and psychological standpoint i mean i don't know do you have any thoughts to add it just uh, yeah you know? i absolutely so i i think um one i kind of I don't have any real idea or predictions, honestly, on how things, how long things will last. I think, I think it's hard. It's almost like the best you can do is catch like the leading indicators of, of right now, you know, but it's hard to put times around them. So I don't know if we're in a, a, a five day, five month or five year bear market. Um, I, if I had to bet, it'd probably be somewhere in the middle of those. I think uh, I'd be skeptical of a five year market. Um, I think to your first point, I do think that there's uh there's a little bit of an intellectual cachet right now. Like the contrarians are having their day, um, the, especially the ones who have sort of been contrarian through the, 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 the sort of bubble of last year, um, where a lot of what they've been saying for a lot of time is sort of resonating with people and making sense. And I think that that's actually fine because what, what will happen is that people will get more sophisticated, right? Like you have a lot of people who are excited about investing for the first time and excited about early, early stage technology for the first time who are just learning, right? And the people who have stuck in who aren't Nick Cannon and sort of just, you know, done with it, um, man, they're, they're so much better informed, so much better educated now than they were then, right? Like all of us are, are sort of, um, you know, have more experience and, and more people's insight to draw from. So I, I don't think it's a bad thing that there's um, a heightened skepticism right now. I think that skepticism, like projects that, you know, they have to be able to overcome skepticism to be able to, to do anything, right? So I, I don't even think it's 
bad for Ethereum, um, you know, to, to be facing this raft of, of skepticism. In fact, like if you watch the general sort of, um, you know, uh, ETH skepticism, Bitcoin, you know, sort of narrative that has come up, it's it always refers to as a as a comparative benefit when people are talking about kind of, you know, Bitcoin's likely uh, ascendance to a digital money or store of value. What it has survived is a key piece of that, right? So I think it's just sort of part and parcel of, of any new technology. Certainly any, any currency has to go through this phase. So that, that's, that's one thing. Yeah. Now, I, I think that um, to me, I think that the, the, there is a really interesting question around what will, what will get people excited and get people moving, right? And, and I think especially, you know, um, what is... To me, one of the real key questions is, will there be another speculative, like a speculation powered bull run, or will the next bull market be based on fundamentals and usage? Um, Because that's, those are really different things, right? Uh, You know, uh, if Augur was taking off right now, and everyone's getting hyped, and then you know, all of a sudden something else is really thriving, right? Like who knows that that feels like it's, uh, it's potentially a, a really positive signal that that drives market activity. Um, but at the same time, you know, like an ETF could be approved early next year that brings in a bunch of institutional money and we're, we're still doing the, the sort of price speculation thing. So I don't know if it, it feels kind of hard. I think that I think that the only thing that's for sure, I guess, is that long term value is going to have to come from actual usage, you know, and so it kind of behooves everyone to even if they're, you know, engaged in the, the, the short term, you know, speculative stuff, too to be invested in in how we build actual interesting technologies, get them into the hand of users, like who do interesting things with them and solve their own problems or, you know, like it, it's kind of like we all have a stake in the usage mattering. Um, and it's just a question of sort of what what happens along the way. And and I think a lot of that is just based on who, who comes in next, who gets involved next. Well, I, I just wish it was uh, like the strongest will survive because there's good projects out there that aren't able to survive this market. You have projects selling out, ETH, they're trying to sustain, which means alts are dying off. So I, I guess I, I gave you a long-winded question on on basically what does elongated six thousand dollar Bitcoin means in the context of your narrative? Because ex, you know excitement's down, but build culture they love it for whatever reason. That's a, a good a good maybe point to that is that like uh like like you said some altcoins may be dying off, but maybe that's because the technology like the infrastructure the protocol level stuff wasn't ready for those applications and a lot of the money that fed into that excitement gave a lot of development into those that, that infrastructure and later on down the line when it's built out and scaled that utility is easily is more easily accessible then those applications can start over and actually be successful if they if they need to be there like say for instance like and, and whoever does it then will learn the lessons of the people who died off earlier That's- yeah so i i think um my guess is that my guess is that more projects will die from bad execution amplified from by, by a bear market than by the bear market on its own. And what I mean by that is that there's there's a whole treasury management piece that unfortunately, like a lot of projects are just learning right now on the fly in terms mm. of we don't we don't have any precedent. By the way, this is not like an indictment. I think that um, no one knew previously, you know, and maybe some people had better instincts than others, but it wasn't like there was a precedent about how much of your ETH you convert to USD right at the no. beginning in order to fund operations, right? Like that's, but, but I guarantee you next time there will be a 
broader sort of um, normative like consensus around, hey, this is how you run a project that doesn't get blown up by market cycles, right? So that's one thing. I think that the other thing from a, you know, there's unfortunately, you know, the, the, the upside of the mass democratization of funding that ICOs and tokenization created was obviously more people, um, you know, dipping their toes in this pond and being able to get involved. And, and it's bringing up some really important questions, I think, around investor accreditation and things like that. The downside is, uh, is obviously we, we, we know all of these things. But, um, but one of the other downsides that we, we haven't talked that much about is that, you know, the venture capital rat race, uh, you know, is a very the diligence cycle can be a very profoundly sort of um, limiting, you know, and, and concentrating uh, function that projects with stronger teams and uh, more likely outcomes of success based on the basis of that better executors are the ones who are going to, to sort of win the market. And there's obviously none of that in this last cycle. And so to some extent, I, I, I guess this is the, the positive part of me is like, if, if you think that like kind of 90% of startups die, even who are, who are funded in general, you got to think that the, the, the number is closer to 99% in this market. And the question is really whether the narrative says, hey, that's normal and to be expected, or whether the narrative says like, this is a catastrophic failure. Um, and I think it's, we're going to have a little bit of both, but I, you know, again, I, I think that there's, um, you know, I guess there's one, one other piece on this, this point. I think that good projects are often going to be able to figure out how to survive because it turns out that, um, you know, I, this, there's a phrase that, so I, I used to live in Silicon Valley. I don't anymore. Um, but cop, companies that are cockroaches often win, right? Like companies that you can't kill. And you got to think that right now there are tons and tons of smart dApps who are like, damn, it's not quite time yet. Who are like, can we do you know, can we sell equity? Can we figure out something different with tokens, right? Like who are going to figure out some solution to um, reducing their burn and, you know, figuring out how to survive for long enough to make something of value. So, I mean, again, this is a little bit optimistic. I think I, I don't mean to gloss over like all the pain that bear markets cause and the very real potential that some projects that would otherwise have a real, you know, swing at bat are not going to get to. But I think that, you know, markets are markets are ultimately self-correcting. And it's just kind of what what happens along the way. I mean, I guess if we have to, I, mean, I think we can all agree this technology generally is a uh, permissionless, um, inclusive technology, which lowers the bar to entry in a lot of different a lot of different areas that were typically kind of closed off to select few. If that is the case, if that's what we agree on, then it's made it easy to give it has made it easier to give money to people who don't know how to use it. And that's what we saw with, with the ICO boom. Yeah, totally. And I mean, and I think that sort of the, the point that you're getting at is like, maybe this is just the cost of a system being permissionless. You know, um, I think for me, a lot of what comes up is the, I think the question that one of the questions that I'm most interested in is who is allowed to participate in risk risk capital and early stage technology as a mechanism to change their station in life, right? Like this is kind of at the core, I think, of the critique of accredited investor rules is this is a path to changing one station from, you know, the, the, the nine to five grind to something different, right? And should the government be able to say like, you are not allowed to participate in this, but you can go blow your, you know, salary in Vegas. Like that's, those are real questions. And I think that this is, um, the sort of whole crypto boom is is bringing up those questions in a in a in a positive way. I think ultimately, um, 
even 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 though right now i i guess the the what i hope is that i think i i hope that regulation doesn't overreact to losses from icos and immediately close the window to expanded sort of approaches to crowdfunding because i think it's really cut off uh people's people's access to uh financial opportunity couldn't agree more uh i guess without i guess uh do you have anything else that we should have uh, kind of talked about that you really wanted to talk about we didn't get to? I think, um, I mean, I guess, like, you know, the, the sort of just following up on this idea of uh, market narratives or marketing, I feel like a lot of, for me, for me, the big thing that I, that I try to remind, you know, myself and companies that I work with and just anyone who will listen is that ultimately we're, everyone who's here right now has a seat at the table and we're all kind of writing the story of this and the way that we choose to interpret phenomenon, like, you know, ideas become reality, right? Like thoughts become things. Like this is the space that we're in right now. And what I think the what this does for me is it makes me a little bit less, um, less calibrated to short-term changes in market sentiment, right? So like right now, this sort of mass switch over the last month from fat protocol idea, which had dominated for like 18 months to the fat money's thesis. I think it's really powerful to see a, a narrative shift like that, right? And I think a lot of people that had previously just been, you know, focused on alts and focused on sort of like the, the token game and the token stock market are now really learning about fundamentals of what they think digital money could be. And I think that's a good thing. But I also think that it doesn't mean that all of a sudden every fund should switch their thesis away and stop investing in alternative protocols and protocol ideas. Right. So I think that like the, the important thing to remember is that all of us are, all of us are telling stories that sort of like either try to make us look smart, you know, which I think is totally fine or that try to make us money, you know, and, and when you, when you acknowledge that it sort of reduces the power of any one narrative to, to totally shape your actions. And I think net net that creates a market that's a little less volatile. Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, like a rewording of that is we're, over the next few years, uh, what we've been we've been doing and what we will be doing in the in the near term future is still grappling with the question of what the hell have we done or what have we come across and and what is it what does it mean and what it actually is and until then until we have that kind of signal come through with all the noise that says we did this and this is what it's useful for uh, we're not it's going to be hard to kind of shape a conversation around it that has any like um strong guarantee to be right in, in the in the in the far future yeah absolutely all right I, 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 that was great i thanks for coming on i've run out of time here but uh any, any we, got, uh, we got a question we ask everybody should I, should I hit them with it of course um it it sounds simple but it all depends on how you, you if you overcomplicate it it can get you but here we go <laughs> In 10 words or less, can you describe Bitcoin? There's like a family feud X about to come up on you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, unseizable, unseizable money, unseizable wealth. It's the one that matters to me. It's not the only one. But that's unseizable money. Like when I'm watching, so my background is entirely in social impact and global social movements and stuff. And when I watch uh, people who've worked their whole lives have their money either devalued to nothing or outright stolen, 
it's like that's that's the sort of inequality that I think we can all agree on that has nothing to do with Gini coefficients. It's about like what it means to be a person in the world. And the idea of an unseizable money that that actually stores value is so profound that whether it's Bitcoin or something else, like we'll, we'll have alters to Bitcoin forever for making us believe it possible, even if it's something totally different in the long run. So I'm going with unseizable money. Well played and a good explanation for it. Awesome. I like that. That's a good question. All right. Thanks, Nathaniel. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. And welcome back. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Nathaniel uh, Whittemore. I said that right, yep. right? Yep. Oh, all the same. Nice. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I had to dip out on that interview to go do another interview. I know the irony, but uh, I don't think that's irony. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, you could have just let it fly, nope. Corey. Nope. Nope. Could have just let that one fly. Um, what would that be? Happenstance? Coincidence? Um, yeah, that's maybe. just what fucking happened. Yeah. I had to do Coinc- another interview, so I had to maybe? leave that one. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, yeah, like he's he's a, he's a marketer, but he's not uh, Captain McShillington Shillingtonshire. He just kind of talks about the stuff that's happening. So that's pretty good. I think he's, yeah. he's, he's spent an enormous amount of time trying to like help explain what's going on across the whole the whole surface of of this, yeah. right? Because it's gotten to the point where that's a hard thing to do. Like just just the just trying to understand what's happening at the current time and like trying to reason as to why it's happening that way based on previous events across the entire space is a probably more than a full-time job in itself. Yeah, it is. It's 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 a lot. If you can I do want to defend that, myself. If you can kind of do that, okay? You probably have a job somewhere. Wait, wait we do. Want- That's what we do. <laughs> he talked yeah. about Schrodinger's securities. You ever heard of that? No, uh, but I I, I, I my my spidey senses get tingly whenever I hear that name and its use. Yeah. He says it's the quantum state of crypto and he has like big articles on it, so I just figured he'd be here we go. I guess I'm going to do uh, some reading. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some marketing pizzazz right there. <laughs> yeah. He was, I guess he was a, a physicist in like in the thirties and I guess. Oh, okay. Well, he's a, oh, I mean, I guess Ryan X Charles is, we worked on a PhD in physics too. So I, I it only goes so far. Yeah. Is so it, Ryan, I, go ahead. Uh, I just, you know, is it only like so much time goes by to where, each smart physicist crypto guy eventually goes to the Bitcoin cash side because that's the way I'm seeing it. Well, that one dude that I that I showed you in Twitter ends up being like a hard Bitcoin maximalist. He's he was a physics a theoretical physics PhD. Um, I went I went hard Ethereum. Now, don't get me wrong, I still love Bitcoin, the idea of Bitcoin and, and a lot of its utility. But I, I I spend most of my time in Ethereum. I'm sticking to my story. I think that you theoretical scientists are are very privy to this tech because you understand what it means to have a, a, a finite set of resources to power a supercomputer. Well, I did work you, in high performance computing and I worked yeah. on, I guess, yeah, that, that thing you mentioned what, like four or five episodes back about my unique yeah. perspective towards buying time on supercomputers and using it efficiently. Yeah like the core concept of like what a core hour is for, for super, super computers. 
Yeah, people just don't walk around with that knowledge. And because you were privy to not only having the knowledge, but applying it to how you program things to, to do your research, you innately understand like, oh, Ether pays for the Ethereum virtual machine. Ether pays for me to do computation on this giant ass computer. That's let's, let's take that. A, let's take that a step back. Like, do people even un understand the concept of scarcity, at least in America? No, they, they don't. don't. Like, do they becoming, think about it's that? It's a problem. They don't. They don't. Then it's a problem. Like, what's scarce in America other than other than time? And do people even realize that their time is scarce? Because, like, people don't value their own time in a lot of ways. A lot of people don't that I know. And well, that's the I mean, most scarce thing that we have now because there's so much shit you can do that you feel you need to do in a day that like everyone always says, like, not enough time in the day. It hasn't, it hasn't rained here in two months, so we had a uh, scarcity water notice. Don't use as much water. Don't water your yeah. lawn 14 times a day in Texas. I okay. did. I took just as long showers. I, I gave my dogs extra water. I used the sink <laughs> more. I used the fridge more. That's half white privilege. <laughs> what did you rip up that fucking... <laughs> <laughs> don't use water. Not my house, baby. Ripping that shit. I'm up. not an asshole. I'm just saying, like, I don't think we uh, scarcity uh. things really matter. I mean, <laughs> on a communal yeah. platform, I'd say you're a soft asshole. No, we're just uh, there's not many. I mean, if you live a minimalist lifestyle, you're a minority. Like we're Americans. Yeah, excess excess is a, the new norm. It's for Americans. Have a bookcase behind them in Brazil. That's an American thing. I did have bookcases. Behind me in Brazil, do you remember correctly? I, I was trying to make there a point. There weren't any books in them. It was, a, it was false, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. It, it gets to the fundamental thing in that now, for one of the first times in humanity, we're all the way down to the fa simple fact that like we're producing more food than we need. The majority of humanity, we've producing food was a problem, and it took up a lot of time. All right, but so like, okay. that trickles out into all sorts of facets of society and changes all sorts of things very slowly over time, and that's just what we're we're dealing with. Yeah, but cool. Now. I mean, okay, cool. Americans don't get scarcity. Well, guess what the novel concept is for all of this technology: digital scarcity. And if yeah, they don't understand the importance of that thing, then they're not going to ever grasp the importance of blockchain or like why people actually give a shit about it. Yep, they're going to get left in the dust, man. I'm kind of scared, but oh well. I need to defend myself, by the way, guys. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, I was muted. Sorry. I had to type something. Um, My keyboard is very loud. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, I said something in the interview, and you guys shat on it almost immediately, where I was like, everything's bullshit until you get results. And you both were like, no, that's not true whatsoever yeah. yeah i feel like that's like some consulting garbage right where you just like you just say a bunch of <laughs> shit and it, it turns out that it's okay but you had no idea that it was okay before you said it like that's mm -mm. let me mm -mm. no let me defend that statement is that like okay coca-cola right when coca-cola is selling coca-cola like hey we have this unique flavor of soda pop it's gonna change the world it's it's gonna nobody gives a shit until they start selling millions and millions and millions of bottles of Coke. And then they're like, oh, oh, that's not bullshit. They do have a formula. Oh, they do have a special, they do have a special soda. Okay. I get it. Like anything you say, 
is at most going to be bullshit to somebody listening, and you've got to get results to prove that it wasn't bullshit. That's that's all I'm saying, point blank, period. Like all these new blockchains and all these new technologies, they may do all these consensus algorithms. They may be cool, but it's bullshit until you get some results. Get some people using your blockchain. Get some people using some apps built on your blockchain. Uh, get some transaction volume. Start moving weight with your blockchain, and then it's not bullshit anymore. Damn, you're pretty much shitting on the entire crypto community because nothing has launched and there's nothing out there. Uh-uh. Well, sometimes you gotta launched. Speak. Sometimes you got to say it like it is, man. That like one crypto. project launched. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> Go to DevCon with a giant billboard that says, stop yeah. doing bullshit. Just it's, launch something. I mean, the studio that uh, makes crypto kitties, right? They, they probably went to dozens of people who were like, yeah, digital kittens that are scarce. It's going to be a thing. And they, they were like, bullshit. Yeah, that happened to us, remember? Oh, yeah. And we they sent us an email. We were like, that is dumb. He said it was the next big thing that was going to disrupt the market. And I said, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? And now, later, we're like, oh, wait a second. Mm, I guess it, it did. We probably should have recorded them. Yeah. yeah. So that's what that's what I mean, is that like everything is bullshit until you get results. Nobody's going to give a damn until you've got numbers on papers and you can define why those numbers are important. That's true. Okay. Andreas, he wouldn't have came on our show if we were like at episode one. Most things are bullshit unless they unless they don't come from a perspective of this is what happened. This is what I'm doing. This is the results that I expect. And you try it too. Like this, this like, like I said in the, in the interview, the scientific method basically. Marketing and, and advertising is bullshit until you can back it up. Yeah. Not like yeah. actual development. But you don't hear about that type of stuff. The average person doesn't hear about that type of stuff. We do. The average but. person is going to think bullshit. You know what I mean? They're going to be like, oh, what is this? It's 8 million transactions per second. Why is that a thing? Why do I even? Who? What? That's bullshit. But people have those internal conversations as they're building something. You know, like the Coca-Cola people, they got in a room. They're like, hey, we need to create a beverage that's going to change the world. People who crank out crap, they're going to tend to start writing before they start thinking. It's, it's not the other way around. So I don't know. We have to be careful with that statement. Yeah, That's what I mean. Not, I just wanted no to gonna, clarify. Yeah, I got, okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you a little bit of that back. Yeah. You guys immediately shit on it. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I, I, you, you saw my face turn sour. Yeah. And then I had to go for the other interview, so I couldn't defend myself. So I was just like, all right, well, I just leave seeming like I brought nothing to this interview, and I'm an ass clown, so I'm out. Yeah, Nathaniel was like, now that that guy's gone, let's really start talking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways. Well, hey, here's a question. How has the digital age changed marketing, uh, especially for crypto? The digital uh, age or H? The age. Oh, okay. Digital age. Uh, you know, uh, MetaMask isn't going to run a commercial on Judge Judy. So unless you're enthralled <laughs> in the space, unless you're signed up for crypto Twitter, you're not hearing about any of this shit. So... Well, I, like I said that earlier, like I think most of the things that are coming out now aren't don't need to advertise. They're not they're not, they're not for the general purpose audience. Well, if I like if I have to download a browser that integrates all my DApps and it makes things easier, that's essentially going to be for GPPs a couple of years down the road. It's mm -hmm. ease of use stuff. Well, I think it's going to be integrated in the stuff they already use. Like you already have browsers. You don't even know it. They just come on whatever app, like devices you buy. Your phone has browsers on it. Your computers have browsers on it. The fucking, your, your 
God, some refrigerators have browsers on them. Yeah. Yep. And and before when the internet started, like Netscape Navigator was a thing you had to build from source code. And like there was it was difficult to use. It was cumbersome. There's a lot of shit. And it took us a lot of a lot of years until everything has a browser in it. But it has a browser, which is how you access the internet. Eventually, yep. those things like DAP browsers, things that allow you to access blockchains and decentralized applications will just be built into the shit that we already buy. But it's just when we started this podcast, I really thought that banks were like going to go away because people were going to start taking responsibility and learning more. But if we start going the route of where we're integrating things that people are already using, then they're not going to be responsible for their private keys. They're not going to know how a blockchain works. They're not going to know this and that. And what's really changed then? You I know? think a lot changes. It's just it's going to be through like use cases. So like how you do stuff is going to change. And having the option is going to make the traditional the traditional way of doing things look ridiculous. Like I think Antonopoulos said this a long time ago. Like um, when be, because of internet money, we'll call it whatever you want. Um, kids are going to grow up and they're going to be using using cryptocurrencies and money before they're you know like fifteen, sixteen, whatever. They're going to be interacting this stuff, exchanging value with their friends on their phone or whatever. And then they're going to get old enough. They're going to go to the bank and open up a bank account. And the bank's going to be like, oh, we can't do those things because of this, this, and this. And like, what? That's retarded. Why can't you do these things? This like you operate like like dinosaurs. This new generation of people who get exposed to how you can do something using the new technology. When they start interfacing with the old technology, if those things don't change the way they operate then they're going to get left behind because the people who start who, who the next generation of people who start using them doesn't understand why they operate that way because it's ridiculous. And so we're forcing them to either adopt this technology and improve how they do things, giving us the options to do things like how we want to, maybe holding our like holding our own private keys things like that and not saying like oh we don't operate on the weekends because that's fucking retarded. Mm-hmm. Then then they'll get left in the dust and then the new technology wins. But, it's like, so the, and, but if you look at it from the perspective of the newcomer, they just do things the way they want to. And the people who are providing services have to adapt to, to change the new technology. Mm-hmm. But like, there's no, there's like, there isn't any marketing behind that. Like, Bank, banks are always going to exist. They just have to change. And then we're always going to have options for people to do things different ways. And that, that's what that's what this is, whole thing is providing is, is options, in my opinion. The thing about banks is that they're, their incentives are for not a lot to change. And their incentives are to be the reason things change. You know? Explain that. And, well, if you look at a banker and if you deduce it down to like the old school banker of all time. Like, Hey, you see these eight big jaw breaking ass dudes I got behind here. They're going to guard your gold bullions. And I'm going to keep this little piece of paper. So I know how many you have. And this way, you know, you know, I've got eight, one big hard hidden motherfucker. Can't go steal all your gold. Cause I'm holding it here. All right. It's a security thing. Like that's what they sell is security. That's what they sell is stability for people. Uh, also lives. convenience because it was way easier to move around pieces of paper and not big gold bullion. That's very true. But they want to be the standard. 
because that keeps their doors open. That keeps the lights on for a bank. They want to be the reason why, like, so basically this just happens to society because we're so busy being civilized that we don't even pay attention. Slowly, the bank was like, look, no more gold, right? We're handing out paper now, and there's nothing but paper back here, and we got rid of the eight hard-hitting dudes uh, because we don't need them anymore. We just built this giant vault, and it basically, you know, and guess what? Now, since we don't need eight dudes, like, we're going to reduce your fees or whatever a bank is going to sell to you. Right. They 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 have to be the forefront. But what's happening now because of technology, the, the cost of entry to so many industries is getting so much lower because of software improvements and hardware improvements. The banks are going to go the same way that Blockbuster did, where like, no, like you're not the only one with access to high grade security anymore. It's actually low cost. In fact, I can launch up I'm, what we got these little cool wallets that has bank grade security in a credit card size thing like you you're not the only one with access to that level of encryption anymore and so you've got to now compete with other things all right and so so what's the netflix what's the netflix in this analogy uh well cryptocurrency as a whole is the netflix how that looks is we we can't we can't figure that out yet because it is decentralized and there is nobody like that's kind of an advantage that a bank hey this is going to be the atm standard all ATMs are going to run on this software. All ATMs are going to spit out money at this rate. Whatever they can do that, they could do that because it's a central entity. Um, but Bitcoin can't make standards like that. The standards have to emerge. So, you know, or, or Bitcoin or crypto, this whole thing, it can't make standards like that. They have to emerge. So there's really no telling what is going to ultimately Netflix the banks and the banks are going to come to that if you can't beat them, join them scenario, it's going to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Like we, we've seen this time and time again with the onslaught of the digital age, Jello, like newspaper companies. Everyone was like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. It's currently happening with the, the USPS. Like it's getting to a point where it's like, stop sending, like don't put bills in my fucking mailbox. I pay my bills online. I don't want to be throwing away paper, all this paper every time, every week. Like, Come up with the standard so that you can get me my bills through my inbox. Like, I'm tired of the shit. It's not even at the point where, like, I'm tired of the mail. I'm tired of the replacement of the mail already. Like, that's how far we are. Like, I, I don't even <laughs> like checking my email. Fuck, look at the <laughs> yeah. mailbox. You know what's crazy? Yeah. is like, I, I pay my water bill online before the, the paper bill hits my mailbox. So when the paper bill does hit my inbox and I open it, it says I owe zero dollars. So they're literally sending me a bill for nothing. It's like a waste on top of a waste. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. That was the correct usage of literally. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what do I need a check stub for this? You, yeah. you, you still don't get how technology works. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately what's going to happen is the banks are going to come to that moment where they can't beat them, join them. And they're going to do it in a way to where they still have a little bit of control. I think ultimately you'll have like a little terminal in your house because, all these homes are going smart. It seems to be a trend. Uh, the homeowners that want new smart things, you get a little terminal in your, you get a, your own little digital currency terminal in your house. And it's your special little connection you have to your bank. It keeps your home loans there, your auto loans there. Oh, your, that scares me. Whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, that's in terms of security perspective, that scares the living hell out of me. But you're right. That's, what, that's the way it should go. 
but because people will remain ignorant about a lot of things, like willfully ignorant about a lot of things and protecting these types of responsibilities that they're now getting through holding their finances and wills and loans and titles and shit, like all of their value they're responsible for again if they choose to do that type of route. Mm-hmm. Like if they're willfully ignorant and not smart about how it's set up or the implementation isn't smart about how it's set up in terms of security, people are just going to walk over and grab their shit and walk away. Yep. Because like you don't, you don't need yeah. a backpack to carry all this stuff. Like You're no longer hindered by how much you can grab in the house and get out before anybody sees you. You just stick around their digital, their digital household, look around mm-hmm. for as long as you want to figure out where the problems are and take as much as you want because there's no bag that you need to worry about. You just take that and shit then- and leave. In comes the bank, and he says, "You know what? I got eight hard-hitting motherfuckers back here that protect your digital <laughs> See, currency." We're back to custodial services or insurance. <laughs> and like, in- insurance is going to be a thing in this in this new world, and it's going to be expensive. And I'm surprised it's not here yet. Oof. Maybe it's just like they're waiting around for people to start using it, and for enough people to start lo- like be losing money through this willful ignorance, and. I don't know, like, how is that going to play out in the future? Like, the insurance will be a thing. Security, personal security of, of holding these assets will definitely be a thing. And we're seeing it move in the right direction with people, like, using hardware wallets more often than not. Like, people know that, more people know they shouldn't keep their money on exchanges, at least within the community. Uh, we have more options for hardware wallets. It's not just, like, one shitty version of a hardware wallet. Yeah. This is what I was wondering. I wonder what would be the cost of operation to have like a geek squad, but for crypto, like just a little van with a funny looking sticker and they go to people's houses and set up a node or maybe even help them secure their home network and then teach them a little bit about this blockchain technology and crypto and how you have to have a different set of practices when you're engaging with it. And then like charge them a fee like a plumber would. I was, it's always been, it's been one of my bidet thoughts. That's going to be a thing. That's for sure going to be a thing. I don't think the education thing will be a thing. If a plumber came over to my house and was like, see what you got here is this pipe here is called out. I'd tune out. Just do do the thing. So I don't know. No, no, no. I want to flush the toilet, bro. Get that done. Yeah. Well, so see, I, I think that idea is going to work. I just, I don't think people are going to tune into the education. No, they're going to be like, hey, did you finish? Am I safe? Is it good? Yeah. All right. Get the fuck out. I got to yeah. watch okay. Netflix. I'll concede and agree that most people would be like that. But whenever the cable guy like comes to my crib, I'm like asking about how those tools work and stuff. And they're like, he'll show me the screen. He's like, okay, well, this measures the signal to noise ratio when we want this to be right in the middle because of these numbers, blah, blah, blah. And I like pay attention to that stuff. I think it's really cool. And when they send someone out that is knowledgeable, it just gives me more buy-in with my internet service provider. I'm just I like, agree. okay, they know that. I'm, they know I'm that, that, that kind of person too. But you have to realize that that's not the average person. Yeah, I'm like, are you done yet? You've been in there for a while. Am I good? Do I got 100 megabytes? You want a glass of water? No? (laughs) All right, I'm going back inside. How much internet juice do I have? Answer my question, please. (laughs) And then then when he whips up the screen, like, well, you see, I want the... No, no, just fix it. What's your what you're dealing with here, sir, is willful ignorance. Okay, I don't give a shit. Okay. Anyways, what that what that also says before we wrap is that like the 
the future of potential opportunity is ridiculous. And once again, if you would like to future-proof yourself, figure out how this stuff works and, and try and figure out where it's going, yeah. and you'll see holes of services that aren't being filled. Yeah. Go do that thing. And if that one doesn't work out, you're going to gain experience that helps you with the next thing because one of them will work out because there's so many opportunities to be doing things in this space. If you understand the base layer of this type of stuff, because there's going to always going to be people that don't get it. And if you can just be that conduit of providing a service that helps people get it or doing the thing that they want to do because they don't get it and they can't, then you, you're going to be successful here. Because it's not going away, period. At point blank period, this technology isn't going away. We're never going to run out of content for this podcast. Nope. I'm supposed to be doing a Denzel voice. Here we go. If, if you want to future-proof yourself, you need to get out there and learn about Bitcoin. Ha <laughs> ha, my man. My man. That was terrible. Sorry, Denzel. <laughs> that was your worst black accent, I'd say. Yep. I don't have a very black accent. I think you're Cleveland. Cleveland Browns. No, nah, dude, good. your 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 Wakanda is it's oh, on yeah. it's on point. If you would like to be future proof, you need to invest in some educational materials. Let uh, me give you a right. quick start. A mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos. <laughs> That's hard to say in an accent. Hey, can we get Tawanda Kembo on and you interview him in that voice and we try to see how long he lasts without being offended? Yes. I don't remember, well, you, I don't remember you talking like that last time we... Uh, yeah. I went to the motherland. Yeah, I always talk like this. <laughs> yes, since the last... <laughs> Black Panther, four times. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways... <laughs> yeah, I was right back to my roots. Yeah, of my Wakandan roots. Like, where is Wakanda? <laughs> I was like, uh. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so what do we do? We're the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Uh, by now, you probably know we have a litany of shows, exactly 10 shows now. Yeah, let me do a, let me uh, cut and let me give them like specific, like what went down this week. All right, you okay. got Crypto to Infinity, just broke 20 episodes. So he's hitting his stride. You got the Crypto Bully. He interviewed Sam Ball, TED Speaker investor you know he's getting comfortable uh hashing it out just across 20 with uh casper bach what, what? that's a good one uh we launched dose of ether keeping up appearances uh and then just the headers just went out a tiny bit late because it was the end of the month but it's there we actually just got a twitter message saying where's just the headers at and i had to let him know and he says he loves d he loves the show he loves the, the d yeah. that dude Such loves great- the d that's a great nickname, isn't it? Uh, you want some of that D? He wants just the headers no. with D. <laughs> yeah. Not the guy last week that was like, tell that guy who's telling stupid jokes to be quiet. I just want none of the jokes. <laughs> I don't like fun. I like to drink unsweet tea, and I like to lick salt. Hey, 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 hey. Unsweet tea is good. Interesting. You know, watch, check yourself. So you, you don't like bidets and you do like oh, unsweet. Oh, who said they don't like bidets? I just don't have one. Oh, they're uh, great, dude. Go get one at Lowe's right now for 35 bucks, dude. They're amazing. 
I got other things uh, to worry about. I will about. say that hashing, uh, what was it, Quant, Quant Stamp? Quant, they retweeted Quant Stamp. Okay, there we go. They uh, retweeted Hashing Out and they said, hey, we're getting into the nitty gritty. And I was like, ooh, that's a, actually a good podcast name. So if Hashing Out, they could have a sister show called the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. I like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, a lot of content thrown at you. Yep. Over 10 hours a week. Did you say so, blockchain and law? Um, that isn't that hasn't aired yet. But for those of you unfamiliar, Amy Wan is a uh, a lawyer. She, her, her company Sagewise just received was one point five million. Cello. Yeah, yeah one point five. One point five million in a seed round of investment. And uh, uh, I hope I don't want to fuck this up, but I'm pretty sure she's auditing smart contracts. And making sure that it is in agreement with the current laws that are on the books, because I, I don't know if you guys know this yet, but you guys listening, if you're thinking of starting a project, um, breaking the law is something you can't do. So <laughs> <laughs> it's never been something you. Uh, can do. Uh, I'm so, using blockchain. Uh, That's not unless you get caught. Yeah, it's only illegal if you get caught. <laughs> Am I right? No, you're not. Said all the criminals right. ever. Yeah, you're not right. Um. Anyways, um, so that will be airing soon. Look forward to that. Uh, I can give you a taste of it right now. It, uh, it, it. Well, you broke it, up. Our, you broke up there. Repeat. Yeah, these razor. It's almost like these razor headphones suck ass. Uh, or your internet at home. Now. Yeah, I can hear you fine. Um, it does dive deep into what are the what's the current uh, compliance environment, and where do we think it can go as blockchain becomes more ubiquitous. So that's kind of a... And we also had a really good conversation in the Slack about universal basic income, and I feel like none of them listened to the show. So listen to episode 220, and let's have more conversations like that. Mm-hmm. I agree. Join like, the Slack. Well, what about this? Bring in the, the conversation. conversation. Yep. So the Bitcoin Podcast network. thank you guys for listening again. People like Lane, people like L- Leonard. There's so many people in the Slack now. It's hard to. No, it's not. I love all of you. Uh, that's it. Lay. Oh, shout out to Zoe Saldana, of course, who is shilling crypto now. So everything's come full circle in my world. Uh, play the outro.